Uh, welcome to Reforming Slavics. Today with Nick and Tom, we're going to be talking about the perseverance of the saints. This is the last point in the five points of Calvinism. Also, people refer to it as the um, preservation of the saints, referencing God's power to preserve the saints rather than the saints themselves working out their salvation in fear and trembling. Yeah, Tom? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is one of the most um, bastardized doctrines in the evangelical movement, especially in the phraseology that is used, uh, once saved, always saved. It refers to the fact that if someone uh, came up to the altar and decided to give their life to Christ, or they had a baptism, or some kind of sign of repentance and the change of heart, um, that that moment encapsulates their eternal salvation and whether they, in 10 years, go off and uh, rebel against God and continue living in sin for a decade of unrepentance and then perish, um, that their security is sealed, that that one act of profession of faith had delivered them for eternal salvation. And in the Slava community, obviously that is opposed, that is an anathema, because it, rightly so, the Slava community addresses the fact that sin cannot coincide or cohabit in a saint's life where they constantly sin without any repentance and still hold salvation. So they they drop to the other uh, aspect of, no, a saint cannot um, just be eternally secure. There is a falling away. There's a true apostasy that occurs when uh, once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are actually born again. And if you continue on consistently in sin there is some point at which you are no longer saved that if you die at that moment you will face the wrath of god rather than the good well done good and faithful servant um welcoming of of christ as you enter the kingdom of heaven yeah i feel like when people talk about uh calvinism in a slavic community the first thing, the first objection that I hear personally is, "What?" I ask them, "What is Calvinism?" And they o- almost, like, almost all the time they say, "Well, it's a, isn't that the thing where you believe that you're saved, so you can do whatever you want, you could just live however you want." And I'm like, "No, you don't understand it, because I don't even believe that." It's like, of course I'm against that movement. Of course I'm against being saved and then going and living your life. No, you are, there is so many more aspects to who you are now. Now your, your will has changed and the passages, there's so many passages that warn you. If you do make a practice of sinning, then you aren't going to be saved. You won't make it to heaven. Yeah. I jokingly say uh, when someone says, well, do you believe that once you become a Christian, you can do what you want? I jokingly say, yeah, you can do whatever you want, and I get that reference from a sermon uh, where the preacher said, you can do whatever you want because all you want to do in your nature is to live to please God. And so your wants have not been changed. Which includes repentance, which includes ongoing seeking holiness. Yeah, and so the framework that this this framework that the Slavic community has at times is eerily similar to the framework that Roman Catholics have in their understanding of salvation. So the Roman Catholics have this understanding of salvation. When you're born, you get baptized. 
and that baptism solidifies you into something that's called um, redeeming grace, meaning there's an efficacious amount of grace that's poured onto your life, and now you are pure and justified before God. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and if you're an older person, you get baptized, that's the moment where you have all your sin given forgiven at the point of baptism. And once you get out of baptism, um, every time you sin, there are two types of sins. One is venial, one is mortal. So if you do a venial sin like lie, then your your salvation drops beneath a certain line. And you can work your way to getting back to the baseline. By work, I mean you can go to Mass. You can um, go conf- to confession and you could do these sacraments, participate in these sacraments that the Roman Church established in order to bump yourself up to yeah. this um, level of being saved. Now, you can also do something called a mortal sin, which is murder or adultery, uh, in which case you drop down to below your salvific grace period, in which point you, if you die at that moment, you're actually going to be condemned and go to hell. Mm-hmm. And you can get out of that by doing penance and actually performing other works that will get you back to baseline. And so you're constantly going up and down um and what occurs is if, as long as you don't go below the line of uh, damned, but you're still not at the top line of completely pure, if you're somewhere in the middle when you die, which almost all people are in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you go to a place called purgatory in which you pay off a debt through a certain period of time before you can enter the kingdom of heaven or heaven, right? And essentially what that does is it solidifies the fact that um, once you've been redeemed through Christ's work, the Roman Catholics do believe there's an efficacious work that Christ did, but once you fall beneath the line of that perfect um, holy clean, clean, cleanliness, you now have to participate in works of penance, uh, indulgences, um, pen, um, just confession. You have to participate in these graces. You have to actually work through them to get your status back up into being justified. And the reform position completely opposes this because the reform position says um, you are born again and redeemed and, and looked upon as righteous because of the work of the cross. At the point of your conversion, you are regenerated and you're born again. Same word, right? Regenerated, born again. And now you are looked upon blamely and holy before God, blameless and holy before God. And when you do sin... Um, you don't have to participate in the outworking of your salvation. What you do is you recognize your position that's always been there, which is being holy and blameless and righteous before God, and you confront that in your heart with repentance and trusting in Christ every day of your life. It's an ongoing work that the Holy Spirit does. Uh, You don't contribute anything to your justification, but you do contribute to your uh, um, efforts of constantly pursuing Christ. Yeah, and obviously now we believe that we're doing different ordinances, different sacraments as Reformed people, which is me, I, what I mean is just by going to church, having fellowship, praying, and having the Bible. But that doesn't add to your merit. That doesn't add to your position in Christ. What that, what God does is through those means of prayer, through and communion, those sacraments, this is just definition of sacraments. Um, now we, God uses those means to 
encourage us to strive for holiness, to fight off sin, so that we don't fall, so that we don't fall away, so that we we don't fall shipwreck our faith. Yeah, and so the works that um, James talks about when he says works are without faith are dead are not works that uh, continually clean up your image before God. Rather, they prove to yourself and to other people, others around, around you constantly that, in fact, God did do a work in your heart. And as Jesus said, um, the thing that comes out of the heart defiles a man, not the thing that comes into the mouth, right? It's yeah. what comes out of a man that defiles him. The Protestant Reformed position states that uh, once you have been transformed and redeemed, uh, your good works, all they do is just show the evidence of what already occurred inside your heart. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there's a difficulty that... So, so you were talking about like uh, Roman Catholics, but obviously not every Slavic or... Armenian like position believes the drastic view of purgatory, a drastic view of uh, you know having to work yourself into the right position of Christ. But what what are the similarities? Because obviously we're way we're we're still brothers in Christ, you know. Yeah, and so what I would say is there is a um, un- inconsistency in the logic of an Armenian view in regards to Christ's full and ultimate atonement of sin on the cross. And what that huge slogan of words means, all it means is that you have to believe that if Christ died for your sin once and for all, as Hebrews states, there is nothing you can do to uh, you know, atone for your sin after that. There's nothing you can do to reject God's saving faith after he saved you. So you're saying... When he paid for your sin, he paid for all of your sins. Yes. In other words, if you lie, if you're a Christian, you truly believe you're a Christian, you know, you lie to your mom about going and hanging out with your friends and then you, you sneak out of the house and you get in a car crash. That didn't null and void your salvation. Christ actually died for that sin too. And we, we have to trust in Christ for the fact that we don't lose our salvation every time we sin. We don't lose some of it. We don't lose some of the grace. No, in fact, Christ atoned for all of the sin. There's no meritorious grace that we need to provide ourselves. Yeah, and it would obviously be wrong for us to portray people like Armenian position. They don't believe it's it's so easily lost, like you just lost something. Oh, I lost my quarter under my seat. I lost my salvation. Obviously, even the Roman Catholics wouldn't believe that. Yeah. It would be, but what they would believe is like, you know, there's a a willing, a willing, a like a willful keep on going sinning until you eventually uh, no longer like maybe the sin of like not see what is like to the point. It's like you know what point is that? I guess when you go apostate, when you go completely reject the faith. And so, reformed people do believe in apostatism as well. Apostatism means just rejecting the faith or falling away from the faith um, because. The difference between an Arminian and a Reformed guy, an Arminian say, well, you see, that guy has been to church you know, for 10 years. He, we've participated in the Lord's Supper together. We went to prayer meetings together. We evangelized together. He's encouraged me in the Bible, and he's been there through tough times with me. 
And now he has stepped away to rejected Christ, and he no longer believes in him. Yeah. The Armenian would say, oh, he lost his salvation. He chose to give up Christ. And a Reformed person would be just as sad as the, of the fact of the Armenian, but they would say, no, they never knew Christ. Yeah. Christ was not their full treasure. They were never regenerated in their heart. And this comes to a head in a passage like Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verses 4 and onward. It says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they have are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For the land that has drunk in the rain and often falls on it produces a crop useful to those who, for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, near being cursed, its end is to be burned. And then chapter 9, I mean, verse 9 is always encouraging to us. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And this uh, passage specifically is constantly referred to by people who believe you can lose justification by saying, see, they participated in the church. Um, It says here, they tasted the goodness of the word of God and they've shared in the Holy Spirit and uh, the powers of the age to come and now they've fallen away. But also, we have to deal with the fact that it says it is impossible for us to restore them to repentance again. So it's not talking about someone who has lost their salvation mm-hmm. and can gain it back or has lost their salvation and has never known it. It's talking about people who have rejected Christ completely, uh, like the Pharisees did, right? Yeah, to the point where they they have no... They've pretty much done the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, attributing... Yes. The works of Christ to Belzebub. Yeah, they've 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 uh, willingly rejected who Christ is, yeah. and the way we can say, well, these people were never believers, is by the example of the illustration that is given. Um, they have never actually produced the fruit. They they their land that received the blessing, which would be the participation in the Holy Spirit, the um, you know tasting of the goodness of God. Like they have been in the church service. They have participated in the Lord's Cup. They've you know participated in communion. They have prayed for people. They've evangelized to people. But in their heart, there was never a fruit that was produced from the ground. They've, they've gotten all these gifts, and yet um, they produce no crop. And this is um, hearkening back to the illustration of the parable that Jesus gives of the different types of soil on which the seed falls and some soil produces, you know, green greenery for a little bit, and it gets quenched when when it's a drought. Um, some soil is uh, eaten up by wor- the seeds are eaten up by birds, and some soil actually grows and produces and bears fruit. And Jesus is saying it's not the difference in the in, in what seed is sown; it's the actual soil. And you can't change the soil. It is, it is the heart of God that you know God's heart changes soil. So yeah, what's what is that soil in the parable? Uh, that is the person, right? That's the actual person, the, the, the person who comes to repentance and faith. And so 
if you don't have the right soil, you've never actually known Christ. You've never actually experienced the regeneration, the being yeah. born again. Because the message was the same. The seed was the was the word of Christ, the gospel saying, you must do this, repent and believe in the gospel. But the soil was different, right? The soil has to be changed by God. And so this distinction between the participation or being involved in the church and actually being regenerated and having your heart changed and you producing and bearing fruit. Yeah. And the fruit that you bear, all it does is showing the evidence of your regeneration. And same thing that we've, we've you know, throughout this discussion of TULIP or the five points of Calvinism, we constantly bring up John 6, uh, verses 37 through 40. And I'm going to read them again because they're, they're a foundational verse. Um, there are foundational verses of scripture that yeah. are really difficult to read in any other way but the Reformed view. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day for this will is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. There is a clear um, protection. All those who come to me, I will keep. I will keep to the point of not, you know, midlife crisis. I will not keep to the shipwreck of the faith. I will keep them and raise them up in, in a new glorified body. Yeah. Jesus says, I will actually preserve my saints. Right? If you talk about perseverance and preserving, perseverance refers to your clinging to Christ and constantly working out your salvation in fear of trembling, which we do as Christians. The reason there are apostasy, apostasy warning passages, meaning that why there's warning passages in the Bible, don't be like this because you'll fall away. And reform people say, well, you can't fall away. Why? What's the point of warning passages if you can't fall away? The whole point of, of the passage is to recognize that, well, maybe you can't fall away, but you could recognize that you never were his. It's to put the fear of God in your life. Yeah, and what does the fear of God do? Lead you to the, his kindness and lead you to repentance. Yeah. John, so, John Piper talks about this story about him ministering to a woman in his church, in Bethlehem uh, church, that she was in an adulterous affair and that he he came to her and she was like, I don't know, I'm in this adulterous affair. And like, he tells her, you have to stop this. And she, she's like, I know I'm trying to, but it's hard. And he just straight up tells her, if you don't stop this affair with this other man, if you don't go back to your husband, you will go to hell. And that just shook her. And she's like, but I have this, but I, then she started quoting the scripture, like, Christ, uh, nothing shall separate you from the, from, uh, Romans 8, uh, 8, 40, right? Yeah. Nothing, nothing shall, shall separate, separate us from the, love of God. from the love of God. And she had this whole entire theological, uh, sound understanding. She's like, my other pastor didn't teach us this. And ultimately John Piper started to show her passages, like all these warning passages. Like if you make a practice of sin, you aren't saved. You show that you, you show to the world and to the church that you aren't saved because you have made a practice of sinning. And from then on, 
she changed her life around and every year she would give a postcard to John Piper at Christmas saying, hey, thank you. Thank you so much for stirring that fear of God in my life. You know, God puts these passages in our lives to tell us, hey, you've gone on the wrong path. Come back to me. Yeah, there is a, just because God does preserve his people does not mean that he's going to preserve people who never trusted in him but are pretending to be trusting in Christ, right? Just because you proclaim Christ and live a life that's um, not holy, not righteous, not repentant, does not mean that you just get eternal life. There is a consistent role that your behavior and your the way you live plays into constantly affirming to yourself and to other people that you, in fact, are a follower of Christ. Yeah, like the one of the seeds, what, the, what happened to it? It says that the worries... The words of the life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Ultimately, every Christian will fall into some kind of sin, but the question will be, what happens? Will will uh, the love of the world be more than the love of Christ within you? Will the Holy Spirit like tell you through the word, hey, you need to come back to Christ? And ultimately... Uh, the truth will come out like kind of like whether you were like Judas or like Peter. Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting <laughs> distinction there, right? A lot of people do refer to Judas as one who had, had fallen away, a son of perdition. Um, a lot of pastors do bring up the example. I was actually reading the betrayal of Judas when he went to the Sanhedrin and offered to betray Jesus and they gave him 30 pieces of silver and uh, it's interesting to note that in the Gospels, if you read the accounts, it almost seems as though um, in the Lord's Supper, there is a portion where Judas does participate in the feast, but he slips away and departs prior to the actual supper, Lord's mm. Supper, like the bread and the wine. Mm. He participates in the Passover feast, but when it comes to sharing the bread and the wine, Judas isn't there. So he never partook in Christ, in new the, covenant in the covenant, yeah, and Peter what did, and in fact Peter, right after Jesus betray Judas betrays um, Jesus, what does Peter do? Did not only betray him three times, but I mean two times, but three times, yeah, and then he recognizes and he repents, but Judas goes and hung, hangs himself. Yeah, and Judas is a good example of someone that looked like he had faith to the outside, but Christ knew his heart. The whole time Jesus, the Bible says that he knew what was in, in man's heart and he knew someone was going to betray him and he knew that it was Judas. But to the disciples, when Jesus says at the supper, right, he says, one of you will betray me. They don't all look to Judas. They all look at each other and all are baffled because one of them is supposedly going to betray, uh, is the son of perdition, is not going to be one of his disciples, like is not going to be actually saved. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to think about someone who participated in all the miracles that Jesus performed, all witnessed all of the deeds that Jesus did, uh, experienced all the teaching and the powerful words that Jesus said, Judas was right smack dab in the middle. 
Yeah, and he was one of the disciples that went sent out two by two. And he probably prayed for people, you know, who knows, God could have used him, like, somehow did miracles to him. And because I would assume so, because none of the disciples were like, hey, this man isn't evangelizing. This man, like, they, it looked like to their heart, the outward appearance that he was a that he was a Christian and that's just an example of like you hear over and over again well I had this you know I had this brother who obviously was a Christian so the only conclusion through my experience is that he was a Christian but he lost his salvation yeah I mean uh, the older you get it seems the more people you start recalling that oh I went to church with that guy he's not he's not a Christian anymore um, and that's just the sad reality that people can profess for years on end and then just reject Christ and not have anything to do with him. And I think that that Hebrews passage really solidifies the fact that um, you can't, you can't just participate and, and share. You have to be actually redeemed and have your heart regenerate. And God does in fact keep his elect because it isn't, Right. If if it is in fact you choosing to follow Christ, if you're the one who decided to repent and you decided to have saving faith and you chose God, then you do choose to step away from God. You do choose to leave him and you do choose to betray him. Yeah. But if God if God himself um chose you, elected you, yeah, then he made you born again. He rose you from the dead of your sins and trespasses and made you alive in Christ and you get he gave you a new heart. You don't yeah. have a choice to res- resist him and, and fall away. You can't fall away. He will keep you. Um, yeah, because you want to. He's changed your heart. Yeah, and on top of that, when you don't want to, he leads you to repentance. He uses circumstance like Hebrews talks about. He beats he, every son that comes to him. He, he punishes every son that comes to yeah. him. And so there is this assurance that God will not let. John 6, right? He will not let them go. No one could take them from his hand. The proof that you are a legitimate son, Hebrew says, is that you have been chastised. You do go through the punishment as a, not a punishment of hell, but a punishment of there's the consequences of your sins. Yeah, and uh, the aspect of perseverance is not that you uh, stop sinning because we don't believe that you become um, glorified here on earth. Like You will constantly war against sin, but the fruit or, or the evidence of a believer is that you repent of sin that you find it disgusting disple- and displeasing and you run to him for you run to the cross the cross is yeah. the, the center point of, of your life in which you find strength in you find um, you know your life source in the cross and you constantly recognize that without it you are a disgusting sinner and you need him yeah I think it's such a um, good point <clears throat> you brought up how this is all connected like because you've been elect by God he's going to finish the work that he started right it's like it's all connected that um like in John 10 where he talks about his sheep John 10:25 mm-hmm. he says Jesus answered them I told you and you do not believe he's talking to the to the Jews right at, at the colonnade of Solomon during the feast of dedica- ded- uh, dedication he says, I told you. He, they're asking him, like, hey, 
tell us if you're the Christ. Tell us plainly. And Jesus tells them, I, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Why? Because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and none of them will, uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Just harkening back to that, yeah, you the, do not. Yeah, the reason you, they don't believe is because they're not of his sheep. Like, we hear God's voice. When we read the Bible, all of a sudden, like, when you first started to believe, it's like, all of a sudden, wow, this is actually the Word of God. This is actually real. The Jews, they knew the Bible. They read it, but they didn't see Christ in it. They didn't see the Messiah in it. They had a self-righteousness through the through, through the works. They, they diligently looked at the Scriptures, but they didn't see that the Scriptures were about Christ. And because they did, they you can't make yourself born again. It is a work of God. Yeah, he he said to Nicodemus, right? Like, no one can come, uh, no one can see the kingdom unless he is born again. It's not some, like, none of us chose to be born. Yeah, and uh, I was constantly looking for this verse, and I couldn't find it. But finally, did uh, Philippians one six, and I am sure of this: that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. The actual surety the the solid assurance that we have of our full eternal security has nothing to do with what we can do to keep it it is kept by jesus christ himself because he is the one who did the work on the cross to redeem and atone atone for our sins Um, it is he who accomplished the work and so he is keeping us he is preserving us to the last day, and none can snatch us from his hand. What if someone would respond to that saying, well, it says, well, I am sure of this. You know, that's just Paul talking like, I'm, like he's, talking, he's talking in good faith. Well, I'm sure that you can take that angle, but at the same time, the reason I love the perseverance of the saints is because you can't just take one verse— you have to always cross-reference with Hebrews and John 6. And if you have to harmonize John 6 and Hebrews with Philippians 1-6, yeah. the only conclusion you can come to is Christ is keeping me. And it's not just Paul talking about it, but Paul's going the same line that Jesus went in and said, hey, Jesus is the one who said, I will keep them to the last yeah. day and raise them on the last day. And John 10, like, no one will snatch them out of my hand. The yeah. Father's given them to me. Like, is the Father not able to do what he gave to the Son? Is he not able to keep them? Yeah, and ultimately, if we go on a uh, bigger picture understanding, we recognize that the church is the bride of Christ and God the Father will bring the bride of Christ to the marriage supper of the Lamb where he will, in fact, have the you know, the day in which he comes for his bride. And they will be preserved, they will be protected, and they will be resurrected in glory. Um, other than that, we have no hope. Um, if we base our salvation and keeping our salvation for ourselves 
we would lose it really quickly. And so our assurance in Christ is not only for the redemption of our, our souls while he was on the cross, but also once he did deliver us from the uh, sin and death that we were in, it is to complete our salvation in our glorified body. Yeah. Christ does not only make us born again, but he will also make us alive from our actual dead bodies. Like there is a resurrection that's coming. You can't raise yourself from the dead, Tom, can you? Neither can I. I but Christ can raise us from the dead after we die and our and our you know, mortal bodies disintegrated into dust and ashes. Christ will come on that day and resurrect us. And that's the power that God has. He He protects and has us persevere through our entire lives and resurrects us on the last day. Here's another passage that kind of sounds like it's up to us. First uh, Corinthians 15 uh, verse 2 starting with verse 1 it's like now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain Um, see if if you hold fast to the word yes it's funny that you mentioned that because what does 1 Corinthians 15 talk about resurrection of the dead yeah and so going back to the idea that you did not believe in vain because the words of Christ are true. And he said that I will raise all those who God the Father had given me on the last day. Yeah, it says, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, and who are going to hold fast to the, to the word? The sheep, because the sheep hear his voice, and none of the sheep will be snatched out of his hand. And those who do not sheep hear his voice are not his sheep. They're goats. Yeah. And why don't they hear his voice? Because they're not of the fold. Yeah, Jesus is clear about that in his parables. And there's many goats, there's many wolves among sheep. Yeah, there's a lot of analogies and parables about um, the shepherd coming and separating the goats on the left and the sheep on the right. And those who are on the left will be cast into eternal darkness. And so you can, you know, be a participant in the flock up to the point where Christ comes and separates you. And so there has to be a full assurance that your salvation is kept by your shepherd and you are just simply a sheep following him along. Any other objections? (laughs) No, it's just like, I think it's this view of understanding like like what's the role of um like how 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 would you answer like like how would you believe Nick or how would you know Nick how would you, how do you have assurance that you're saved? Oh well, I mean there are, there are multiple factors, but one that comes to mind right away is um, the passage that says, "Work out your salvation in fear and trembling." Um, there is an aspect in which we constantly have to reassure ourselves through. Um, communication with God through prayer through reading his word through living the life um, and then there are passages in which you can test yourself um, right the epistles I believe of Peter or James or John no John um, he says that test yourselves to see if you're in the faith he gives you a criteria by which you go like yep I'm doing this. I'm not I'm not lo- I don't love the world um, I don't I I repent I, I delight in God I I am part of the vine. I abide in Christ. 
And if you start looking at all those and say, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. Well, that must mean that Christ has a tone for me and he is leading me through his Holy Spirit, right? Um, you can't just be like, well, who's responsible for my salvation? Well, Christ is 100%. But who's responsible for my sanctification? It's like, well, I am, but also I can't be sanctified without Christ. Yeah, some might object to you, Nick, by saying, well, aren't you looking to your works for your salvation? Yeah, you are. You're looking at your works so for your salvation so, so up you believe... to the point where it's evidence of your regeneration. Um, you're not looking at your works to say, well, here's what I'm doing in order to keep it or in order to make sure that I have it. It's just the evidence. This is what a, a saved person does. This is the this is the only way to be to be as a saved person. You can't be any other way. Yeah. And for a reformed person that believes in the reformed doctrine like you would there's no way that you can affirm that we're saved by works because you're completely we completely believe that you know like unconditional election that there was when Christ looked and chose his sheep there was nothing good in us total depravity there was nothing good in us to be able to warrant for him to want to save us he saved us cuz he for his own for his own glory cuz he wanted to yeah and if i in my life look at uh, look at my daily existence and my monthly you know life and say oh i see no evidence of me loving christ i see no evidence of me wanting to fellowship i i don't see me praying to him i don't read his word well one of two things is true either one i am not saved and i need repentance or i am saved and I need repentance, right? I need to repent. That should be the the response to your sin, repentance and pursuing of Christ. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Uh, do you ever know of people that that leave the faith that you were surprised yourself that? They were, they were, they weren't believers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've like personally, I have people who were near and dear to me and my family and, and friends. I'm like, wow, that's difficult to swallow. That's difficult to process. Yeah. And then after that, all you can do is say, hey, like, you know where I stand. You know that I believe that no one goes to heaven except for trusting in Christ. I'll hang out with you. You're still someone that you love, but. You know, just recognize that I believe that you are not saved. Um, you know, you just treat him as you would any unbeliever. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think uh, when we're talking about like uh, those people in our church, like the church service should be mostly targeted toward the, the saints, right? The fellowship of the saints. Yeah. Like do not forsake the forsaking, the gathering, of the saints. So if the service is ga- is uh focused towards saints, how, like how should the pastor address? Like how should he? He should still warn the flock, right? Because first of all, he can't read people's minds. Well, yeah, you. I mean, I think every pastor assumes that there are people who are going to hell in his church, and so you preach the gospel. The gospel is needed for the flock. And for, because, and for the, those who are not yeah. part of it. And Jesus says, there are sheep who are not yet part of my fold that I intend to bring in. Which, in that case, he was referring to the Gentiles 
joining and being grafted in with, with the Jews. But at the same time, we could use that same verse and say, there are people here who need need Jesus and they have not yet joined his flock. Mm. Yeah, because from my experience, like I, I knew that I wasn't saved, but I was going to church mostly to please my parents as like a young, young person. While there's other, there's other, uh, people that don't even believe in Christ, even though they think they do, they almost have like an idolatrous view of Christ. It's almost like a Mormon. Like they'll say, Hey, I believe in Jesus. I go to church. Yeah, I go to church. I pray. They use the name of Jesus and everything. But then you ask him, what, what, which Jesus? Do you believe in the Jesus that of uh, uh, Satan's brother? Yeah. Do you believe he was created? It's like, no, we believe in Jesus, the creator. Yeah, and so there's always the... In a Christian's life, there is always the assumption that, yeah, Christ did die for me. But if my life is not going according to anything scripture has, I should start questioning where my heart is at. Or whether it reveals that I need repentance, it's going to be there, right? Yeah, and you're just causing misery for yourself. You're just, you're just losing joy. And if you're in sin and you're not losing joy, and if you're not feeling guilty, then you should definitely question how, what is my relationship with Christ? Like, that's a very dangerous place. Yeah, because he will keep his saints, and if you love sin, you are not his saints. Yeah, because it says the love of the world. If the love of the world is in you, you're not you're not his. Like if you're talking about in First John. Yeah, I think that wraps it up. Mm-hmm.